1: Hello, welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan. Thank you, as always, for tuning into this podcast, which is all about women's soccer on The Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, as it says in the title, Meg Linehan. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. This is actually our final episode of 2020, I hope. Honestly, it's also the 25th full-length episode of the show. Now, to celebrate, I, I do hope that you are ready to listen to me for a while. It is just me today, as much as I actively try to avoid this, but honestly, I think I've got some good stuff planned. First, I've got a bit of a year in review segment because, honestly, 2020 has been a wild year. I think it is worth at least attempting to try to consider the events of it as a whole on the NWSL, U.S. Women's National Team, lawsuit global stage, you name it front, right? So that's going to be a thing (laughs) that I attempt to do hopefully successfully. And then I've got some answers to your questions in a mailbag segment. Now this is just the first crack at all of these questions that you have asked me. Uh, So stay tuned for one final actual mailbag post on The Athletic as well, probably next week. But as always, some good questions that I did actually want to take some time and try to report out for you all. Now, I've also had the joy, and I promise this is not entirely sarcasm on my part as much as I do not like attention put on myself, but I've had the joy, honestly, of some awards lately between uh, being named to the WICC Best 11 earlier this month and the Athletics Best of 2020 list earlier this week. But I am especially happy to report that this very podcast, Full Time with Meg Linehan, made that list for the site's best podcast of the year. Only five were chosen here in the U.S., and I think that is a huge testament To you, the listeners. So thank you for taking a chance on a podcast run by someone who honestly knew very little about how to run a podcast. There were some books being read (laughs) in the weeks leading up to our launch. I promise you that. I also very, very much want to note that this does not happen without Michael Zimmerman the producer for Full Time, who also put in so much work before we ever even launched and actively campaigned for a women's soccer show here at The Athletic. And it is not possible without him week in, week out, as I send him audio files as he (laughs) tolerates my inability to sometimes connect things correctly. But truly, without Michael, the show does not happen. All right, and since it is my last chance in a new episode in 2020 to tell you about this, I did want to remind you that The Athletic does have an extremely easy holiday shopping option for you. Here are the pros. You don't have to leave the house. You get something for yourself at the exact same time, and you get everything we have to offer at The Athletic. Now, if you want to start your new subscription to The Athletic, you can sign yourself up and get a gift subscription for someone in your life for free. So to buy one, gift one, just visit theathletic.com slash full-time. You get the gift you both want. One price, two subscriptions, every single team, and the same rooting interests are not required. All right, so usually I would run down the news here, but this was almost something resembling a quieter week uh, beyond some larger news of CONCACAF, results in the Women's Super League and Champions League. But since you're going to be hearing a lot from me on this episode, we might as well just skip right to the good stuff. So let's let's talk about 2020. So before I get into this recap of what happened in the year, sometimes I like to, you know, look at what I've done for the year in terms of okay, what what are the stories that got told? What what has happened, right? And as part of that prep for this episode, I also look to see, you know, what my actual work was like this year because, you know, you think you you go into a year and it's going to you're going to go to Tokyo, right, (laughs) and cover the Olympics. And that doesn't happen, but then suddenly everything shifts. So I was just kind of curious. Okay, so I wrote 98 stories. I'm actually probably... Might actually hit 100. We will see. There's still some time. Seven live Q&As, 25 full episodes of the podcast, over 6,000 tweets, which is a slightly terrifying number to think about. But I mean, this really has been an absurd year when it comes to the women's soccer landscape on both the NWSL and the U.S. women's national team fronts. And I just like, let's go through maybe some of the actual like major beats of 2020 month by month. So let's rewind back to January in the before times, right? We start with this flurry of NWSL trades. NWSL president Amanda Duffy steps away from the league front office to take a new role with the Orlando Pride. Laura Harvey leaves Utah Royals FC to become the head coach of the under-20s with the, the women's youth national team. NWSL draft obviously happens, have a big day for Sky Blue. Sophia Smith goes number one overall for Portland. Um, the Olympic qualifiers begin in, in Houston, right? Uh, traveling for that. Christine Sinclair breaks the all-time scoring record, men's or women's, uh, internationally for uh, Canada Women's National Soccer Team. By February, we've got more trades, including a giant one for the Dash where they acquire Shea Groom and Megan Oyster, which sets up some intrigue later this summer. US and Canada qualify for the Olympics via CONCACAF. Um, we start to get the real resurgence of the US women's national team players' lawsuit against the federation. We start to see this discovery. We get some numbers when it comes to the actual damages they're seeking in terms of the, the equal pay, back pay, pay, right, the big number of $67 million, but also we get the joy of, shall we fight it out, the Carly Lloyd deposition, right, but Alex Morgan and, and Carly both being asked if the U.S. women's national team could compete against the men's national team, against youth teams, et cetera, et cetera, right. Again, setting something up for the next month. Uh, we also get a major, another major NWSL trade of Becky Sauerbrunn heading to Portland. By March, the lawsuit really blows up, right? Like this is kind of the event of March, or so we think. We have uh, open letters from Carlos Cordero. We have the protest from the players during She Believes Cup with the, the crest inside out on their warm-up jerseys. But it is kind of this back and forth, and we get that big defining argument from U.S. soccer that the women's national team cannot compete at the same level as the men's national team. That they fundamentally do different jobs because the women's national team are not as strong <laughs> as the men this does not go well, obviously. Meanwhile, at this exact same time, NWL is announcing Lisa Baird has been hired as NWL commissioner. I meet her for the first time at the She Believes Cup game in March at Red Bull Arena. And within the span of a week in March, we've got that, we've got the sports world shutting down. And by Friday of that week, Carlos Cordero, former U.S. soccer president, is out and Cindy Parlow Cohn is in. And that's the point where I'm asking how does US soccer come back from this huge, huge public blow up in terms of their, their fight against the players? Meanwhile, sports are shutting down. The Olympics are pushed back, right? No Olympics in 2020. April, this kind of waiting game begins. Meanwhile, also over in England, Phil Neville uh, is, is revealed to be on his way out kind of in the future, right? This nebulous thing of when his contract ends, but the coaching carousel that is happening on the international stage kind of kicks off in April. And in the meantime, also U S soccer decides to shut down the development Academy by May early on the judge rules against the players on the equal pay front. So really the whole brunt of their argument gets set aside and said, no, You cannot proceed to trial on this. On the NWSL side, you have the Challenge Cup beginning to take shape, including those crucial, crucial negotiations with both, especially the NWSL Players Association, but also the U.S. Players Association in terms of securing guarantees that whether players play or not in the middle of a pandemic, that they will still earn salaries, benefits, housing guarantees, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so in June, we're now already kind of like through a lot of it, but that is the first time that I report the interest in Los Angeles for an NWCL expansion team, the very start of Angel City and, and Julie Erdman's involvement in it. Also, Australia and New Zealand win the 2023 World Cup bid. Uh, in a notable policy change, U.S. soccer repeals the anthem policy that had been put in place after Megan Rapinoe's protest in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. Meanwhile, Challenge Cup and Orlando Pride are forced to withdraw after COVID cases, which we don't need to get into the nitty gritty of how that goes down. Needless to say, one team out, entire schedule has to be redone, but the Challenge Cup does begin. So by July, Challenge Cup completely underway Also, just to skip ahead, Houston Dash are winners, and we get the uh, joy of Christy Mewis celebrations. Record television numbers, new sponsorships, you name it. A lot of success around that Challenge Cup, especially the fact that there were no positive COVID cases once the teams actually went to Utah. Angel City also becomes official NWSL is finally going to get a team in California. And also we're starting to get now the beginning of reports of U.S. national team players considering their options abroad, with my report that Sam Mewis is heading to Manchester City with Rose Lavelle also considering an offer. All right, into August. (laughs) It's really quite the list. Sacramento starts to become this more official thing. I'll have more on that in the mailbag section, but, you know, they are... Very much still in the picture for NWL expansion. Uh, Serena Wegman, uh, head coach of the Netherlands, is tapped to take over the England women's national team. The very end of August is when the reports start to hit about Utah, about Deloitte Hansen, including ours at The Athletic. And really, by the end of the month, very start of September, Deloitte Hansen has already agreed to sell Utah soccer holdings. Also this month, Lyon wins the Champions League. All right, September, Alex Morgan to Spurs. (laughs) Some other major breaking news. The fall series schedule is announced. Pernell Harder goes to Chelsea on a record transfer fee. Uh, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press are officially headed to Manchester United by September. And also this begins the saga of Craig Harrington, head coach at Utah Royals FC, on his way out after some reports there as well. The Utah saga has continued. All right, by October, the end of fall series is already upon us. Portland coming through and kind of redeeming their performance at Challenge Cup, but also we got the debut of Sophia Smith finally. We get finally our first U.S. women's national team camp, the first one since March in October. Also, Katerina Macario of Stanford earns her first major senior national team call-up the same day that she becomes a U.S. citizen also, another major NWSL trade with Crystal Dunn heading to Portland. Portland's really a common theme here. All right, November, <laughs> Craig Harrington is officially let go at Utah. We had the NWSL expansion draft for Racing Louisville FC. Obviously, some major news there with the team picking the rights to both Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. We got another U.S. Women's National Team camp in the final match of 2020 as the team headed to the Netherlands and recreated the exact same scoreline of the 2019 Women's World Cup 2-0 win over the Netherlands. Again, more Christy joy as she is not only on that roster, but gets minutes on the field and scores a goal (laughs) for the first time since 2013. All right, NWCell also announced their format for 2021, which includes expanded playoff field. It includes the return of Challenge Cup ahead of the regular season and the actual timeline of when we can expect preseason Challenge Cup regular season playoffs championship. Angel City FC announces that they will be playing at LAFC's home stadium, The Bank, in LA. And then I also start... Another report of the potential relocation of Utah Royals FC to Kansas City. By December, we now have the settlement for the remaining chunk of that U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit, which was all about the non, uh, non-compensation non working condition stuff, travel, venue selection, so on and so forth. Um NWSL to Kansas City becomes official, right, under Angie and Chris Long. And then also, again, uh, the trades keep coming, and I don't expect them to stop, but Kelly O'Hara heads to the Washington spirit. So that is a pretty decent rundown. Again, a lot of other things happened. These are just the major beats, and really, honestly, just the major beats here in the U.S., the other part to remember, too, is that there's really no slowing down in 2021. We're right back to the end of draft, then preseason, January camp and She Believes Cup for the U.S. Women's National Team, uh, the second edition of the Challenge Cup, the return of the regular season, the Olympics, right? The collective bargaining agreement between the national team players and the Federation expires at the end of the year. There's still an appeal on that equal pay part of the lawsuit in the works. So as much as 2020 felt like a roller coaster and we did not get a lot of games, right? 2021 only promises to be more intense. So there is your year review to hold all of that (laughs) in one thing, right? A lot changed in the landscape, a lot of major storylines. It is hard to look at the year in review and really make some sort of sweeping declaration. Ultimately, I think it was a very good year for the NWSL, a holding pattern year for the U.S. Women's National Team. But fundamentally, I think what is the main takeaway is for so much that got held in 2020, we're now going to be looking at it in 2021. And that's, we have to start turning our attention there. All right, so let's take a quick break and I will come back with
0: Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: All right, as always, you all love to ask questions. I have over 100 in this form that I set up so far. I'm still trying to carve out that time, as I promised, for one final mailbag and post of 2020 at The Athletic. So I'm going to keep the survey form going so that way you can still get those questions in. Though, if you can have them in by Friday, definitely for the best. But also, I will put that survey link in the episode description as well but here are 20 questions from you the listeners that did not require much reporting just my brain so i thought that they would be perfect for today's show so let's let's just dig right in 2020 was the year of christy mewis who do you think will dominate 2021 that one is from lianza h my pick for this one honestly is sophia smith we only got the briefest taste of her at the fall series but I know Vlako Andonovski really raved about her when I spoke to him just in terms of her in the national team picture but you know I think that he was dead on in his assessment that she walked on on that field and looked like she had 100 caps under her belt already for Portland as a team with high expectations more on that in the next question but I really do think that Portland is going to be one of the teams to watch next year. And Sophia Smith is a huge, huge part of that. I think she has an uncanny ability to score goals, to set other people up. I'm very excited to see what she does in 2021. Okay, so speaking of that, who are you most excited about watching in 2021, team or person? That one is from Emma T. So again, just just talking about Sophia Smith, but really, again, like Portland has approached this offseason season I think in a way that really shows their ambition, right? You know, I've, I've spoken before about that 6-0 result that they had against North Carolina in their own house. I think that they have ever since, uh, Merritt Paulson, uh, Gavin, have been trying to build a team where that will never happen again. And North Carolina has had their own journey this offseason in, in kind of the opposite direction, or at least trending that way. But Crystal Dunn, in my opinion... In that thorn system, back with head coach Mark Parsons in a midfield with Lindsey Horan, right? They are going to let her play the 10. That is honestly probably the thing I am most excited to watch in 2021, is Crystal Dunn in that Portland Thorns midfield running things. I, I just honestly can't wait. Okay. Pam K asks, I was thinking about this during the expansion draft. Do you think Press's value in the NWL isn't what it could or should be because of the perception that there are very few teams she would be willing to play for? Louisville's gamble that LA will want her bad pays off. That's great for them, but if not, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so a lot of, a lot of parts to this question, but value in the NWSL, honestly, and especially for, for national teamers, is really hard to assess, right? Like, we do have some value points now, the numbers for Dunn, for Becky Sauerbrunn, for O'Hara, right? Um, but fundamentally, this comes down to that risk for Louisville. And I have said all along that any potential move to Angel City for 2022 has to actually make sense for Angel City. I have also said all along that I am far more risk-averse than Louisville <laughs> was in this expansion draft. But like, fundamentally, I think that we need to remember that there is no technical staff in place yet. They have one employee on that technical side so far who's ahead of of scouting and and analytics, right? Um, We don't have a framework to decide yet if Kristen Press makes sense for angel city we just we simply do not know if if she is in their sights um and like at least from a soccer point of view from a marketing point of view sure totally get it but i also fundamentally believe that you cannot have the marketing side of the team driving the train right like you have to fundamentally have those two parts of your organization very very separate so when it comes to that value right there is this kind of working assumption of yeah probably press would be interested in playing in la but maybe what if the the coaching hire isn't good what if the technical staff hiring isn't good would that change things right it's just so early out it's really hard to game out what the direction is going to be but i think there are also other factors that affect value that you can't point to in an Excel spreadsheet in this league, and that includes the internal politics of the league. So Louisville did fundamentally make the bet that Heath and Press's rights are more valuable than that $150,000 that they had on the table in allocation money that night of the expansion draft. So they 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 bet that they can get more value than $150,000. They might be they might be successful at that. But I look at it and I personally don't understand that risk. Okay, follow-up question to that is from Walida P., completely independent. But do you think Tobin Heath and Kristen Press will play for Racing Louisville? And I still look at this and I think the answer is no. I have significant doubts. But I also think that there is some time, right, if a trade market doesn't appear, for these two players that there is a decent amount of time to for that team for that organization to make a case to the to those two players to their agent right like there is potential there's always potential but again the risk here is that they don't play and i just at this point in time i i don't i don't bet <laughs> but if i was going to bet money i would bet that they they do not ever take the field for Louisville okay super fun question from becca l what is dewitt's favorite holiday tradition i can tell you that her least favorite holiday tradition is that i put her in festive bandanas we have a few there is a rotation she hates them but they make for great photos so they happen um Relatedly, though, she does enjoy the bribery that comes with me taking photos of her in bandanas. But her her favorite holiday tradition fundamentally comes down to the fact that she gets a stocking that is filled with treats, even though we already have a ridiculous stockpile of treats already in this apartment, we get even more treats. So definitely her favorite part of the holidays. Hi Meg, when is the appropriate time to start the Jill Ellis to France women's national team rumors? That one is from Nikita D. So (laughs) I get what you're doing. I do think that starting rumors about Jill Ellis taking over the head coaching position for an MLS team makes more sense if you're going to start some rumors. But if the France Federation wants to move on from Diacre, I'm not sure that the right call is jill ellis another manager who has kind of the same fundamental reputation with player revolt though to a much lesser extent and who who made it through and also i think has a really good reputation within u.s soccer within that coaching staff right like and also we have seen so much more of her personality now that she is not coaching the national team right Um, but as we we learned on this very show just a couple of episodes ago like the France Federation is also not in the habit of making great decisions. So, you know, there is a potential that that they could call her in. But if I'm going to bet on, on Jill Ellis's next move, I, it's really hard to see it being France, in my opinion. All right. Diane H. wants to know, as good as things turned out for the NWSL while playing during COVID, what is one thing that you wish had been done differently? Play more, play less, but not play at all. So I, if I suddenly got power, um, I wouldn't have done the fall series. Honestly, I know why they did it. They got those television times thanks to, to college football not being played at that particular time. You do get the, the the repeated exposure, right? You get five games on big CBS, a couple games on CBS Sports Network. There are certainly pros, but I I just fundamentally think that the way that fall series was kind of thrown together and had additional risks and. Players have kind of, honestly, it feels like checked out for the year, right? Like they had made that arrangement with the league of, we know, we have this agreement in place for Challenge Cup. Um, I personally don't know if fall series was, was worth it. So... Instead of fall series, I think if you needed something in that fall, we knew that there was going to be a U.S. national team camp. I still really wish we could have seen some sort of exhibition series training setup of NWSL versus U.S. national team and have it have it streamed, have it aired, maybe have a skills competition as part of it. Right. Like I think that there was such an interesting chance there. And obviously, a lot of moving pieces with rights holders, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not pretending to have every solution. I'm just, I get, I just get to spitball from a distance. But I do think NWSL uh, versus U.S. national team, and you could, you could play with the rosters too, right? Like Christy Muse could play for NWSL one day and U.S. women's national team the next. But that's really, honestly, I think. Such a unique chance to to try and pull directly from the U.S. national team popularity and have it translate over to the NWL side, and obviously it has to take both of those entities wanting to do this. Um, but that if if I got to run the, the the world for a day, that would have been my pick. Any updates on Sacramento from Cat S? And this was not a unique question by any stretch of the imagination. Sacramento has been extremely quiet after so much kind of movement happened over the summer you know a lot of internal push I think on the Sacramento side to aim for that 2021 start date league I think was a little more hesitant at this point based on everything I've heard I really do expect them to push honestly I'm not even sure if 2022 is going to happen I just looking at it from a again my little corner where I get to spitball I think it makes way more sense for them to look at 2023 as a potential entry date, just because of the way that the stadium has had to be pushed back. Um, Their MLS entry date has had to be pushed back. Like it, I think it just makes sense for them to take the time that they need to get this, this stuff sorted out and figure out where they fit into this NWSL picture. Um, Also just so that way, you know, they can ensure that their launch actually gets the traction that it should deserve as opposed to, you know, Angel City kind of owning a lot of that momentum heading into the 2022 season. But I don't have any necessarily firm updates in terms of what we're actually looking at for um, a start date, where they're at. I know, like, again, I feel very confident Sacramento's still going to be in the mix, but theoretically they could potentially have a way to delicately extract themselves from the league if they see fit I'm guessing again this is me spitballing but I do think that we are probably going to see a much later timeline on their entry into the league all right Laura H asked which U.S. women's national team newcomer or returner made the strongest case for herself this year in your opinion and there's like obviously a lot of established players I think that have continued to make their case but I think in terms of a player who is maybe a little more on the outside looking in. I mean, you look at the way that Lynn Williams got used this year, and I know, again, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I think in terms of Vlako Andonofsky's system, the commitment to the high press, what she offers defensively, I think that the reason why we continue to see Lynn Williams when the shooting accuracy and conversion rate are not necessarily there, there is... There is still a place for her in this team, and I think that all of what she's doing off the ball in terms of the press, the defensive rate, everything, really, shows that there is a path to her being a part of this team and that there is a path to her playing a large role in the system against specific opponents. So I do think that Lynn Williams has made a case for herself to Vlaco and Donofsky and I'll put it that way. All right. No Krieger at the last camp was a surprise for me. If she is not invited to the next one, would you say her time with the national team is up? That one is from JR. Um, so specific to Krieger, we have maybe seen this not quite to this extent, but we have seen this where she, you know, was off in the wilderness a bit with Jill Ellis, right? But I think the important context for Krieger especially, but this, this applies to actually a pretty decent number of players, they're known entities, right? Like, they really are. The Kriegers, Ashlyn Harris, uh, Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, every single person in this system <laughs> knows what Allie Krieger is capable of, knows what Megan Rapino is capable of, so on and so forth. Right. Flacco also did get a look at Allie Krieger back in Olympic qualifying, if we want to remember again what happened earlier this year before the pandemic, um, both as a center back and as an outside back. Right. So he he now has a sense, again, granted against CONCACAF opponents, but of her versatility in terms of uh, positions that she can play. You know, she, she spoke to me for an extensive amount of time in the mixed zone in Houston about entry passes, right. Like, there are still certain skills that she is able to add to her profile that would make her a more appealing selection. But I think at the same time, we have to have a slightly more realistic view, knowing that players like Krieger and Rapino and Lloyd are not going to be in the picture for 2023 and needing to start making those decisions about how to phase players in, how to phase players out, right? Like this is this is just kind of the pain of the national team. The other thing that I think needs to be in context here is that again, like NWSL performance truly matters to Vlacho Andonovski. I don't think he is just blowing smoke and saying like, "No, I'm watching NWSL." The way that he has access to video, the way that he talks to head coaches, like NWSL performance is going to count. And so, that's why I think I would be a little less stressed that certain national team camps aren't happening because end of cell performance still counts. And also like if she has a good run of games in end of I think she just comes back in like that's going to be, there's going to be more fluidity there. So not necessarily a firm answer. I think that the time like, we have to be realistic, the time is certainly dwindling. But I also don't know if this is like hard stop the end if she does not go to January camp. But also January camp is a bigger camp. I think that she brings a lot as a veteran presence to this team. So, again, it's kind of a TBD, but also knowing after the Olympics, it's going to be time for some of these players. And I think that's the mental bargaining phase that, that fans are probably going to have to start going through. We saw it after 2015-2016 cycle has just been postponed a bit with the, the postponement of the Olympics. All right. Uh, christina s asked what do you think was the best nwsl match of 2020 my pick honestly is the challenge cup quarterfinal between portland and north carolina um there was a little bit of debate uh earlier in the month about what the best rivalry in the nwsl was and honestly like i will stand by it my money is on portland north carolina i think there is some True heat and and really based on results, right? Like you have a regional rivalry with Ol Reign and Portland, but when it comes to actual performance in this league, Portland, North Carolina is the place to be. And I like this quarterfinal is just kind of like the most recent installment of it that was just so wild because everyone and myself included was just like North Carolina is rolling in this group stage, right? And then. <laughs> Portland is doing the opposite of that. And then you get this incredible performance from Britt Eckerstrom, goalkeeper, against Dabinia at peak power. It was just like that to me is really, I think, one of the most standout games of NWSL Challenge Cup, but also the year. All right. Campbell W. asked, what was your favorite full-time interview this year? Who did you enjoy talking with the most? I have obviously a lot of contenders for this one, but I do think that the episode that I did with Angela Hughes really stands out because it really just does cover so much ground. Like Angela has, has obviously been around the game for a while. And so it's very cool to get both the national team perspective, uh, WSA perspective, NWSL ownership perspective, uh, calling games perspective, just like... Again, like I titled that that episode, there's only one Angela Hucles, and there is like, you can't have conversations like that with anyone else. So I think that she's just honestly one of the coolest people in women's soccer. Um, All right. Emma S asked, what is the most important thing I have learned in 2020? Uh, My jokey answer to this is that I need to like actually sleep more. But The more the more serious answer is that honestly, like there's no one else that I would rather um, figure out living through a pandemic than with my wife and the way that we support each other and our work and and more important than that, honestly, our, our bigger interest in how we spend our time. Right. Like that's the most important thing I think about on a daily basis. And I I don't know if I nailed it 100% every single day, but in a year where I think a lot of us had to reassess how we live and and do our work, right? Like I wasn't traveling nonstop after March. Um, But also just like we had to figure out how to exist again. Um, And for me, it was also very strange in a year where I did have honestly like the most success of my career so far and, and more attention and engagement than ever. Right. Um, but that doesn't exist in a vacuum. And that includes my coworkers at the athletic, um, my friends, <laughs> the WhatsApp groups that don't see the light of day. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing from 2020 is that I just like, honestly, I, I get to spend time um, with my wife and figure out the next day with that person so there's the end of my wife guy segment for this show um all right zoya had one of i think my favorite questions um of the mailbag but as someone who recently discovered the joy of watching women's soccer i'm afraid of all the players i love watching and following in women's soccer are nearing retirement did i get into it too late how did you keep your love for women's soccer alive after the debacle of the boston breakers hey, uh, Heather O'Reilly's retirement, how do you still seem to get so much enjoyment from sport? Um, They're a podcast listener. So I know that you get real joy from women's soccer. Um, Okay, so slightly less serious answer, but sports are honestly pain. And I, I do firmly believe that like sports are painful. But there is also beauty and joy in that pain, right? Like, the moments where you actually get results or your team wins or your favorite player does something, right? Like, that is why we suffer. (laughs) Like, there is my pinned tweet on Twitter for a reason. Like, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. So I think my, my first suggestion is, like, you know, I have had favorite players. I feel like I like a lot of players. That is also one of the joys of my job is I get to watch a lot of players and a lot of teams, right? And I don't necessarily have firm rooting interests. Um, Again, like I think every single team in this league is like my messy child. Um, So I think the start is like not saying like, no, I'm never going to have a favorite player again. Right. Um, I think the key thing here is also just like that support of a favorite player shouldn't necessarily come at the expense of other players might come at the expense of other teams. <laughs> Team fandom is a completely different beast, right? But if you have a favorite player or favorite players who are retiring, I think it's just really important to balance your appreciation of them and also, like, celebrate the time that they are still playing, right? Like, I think that was the nice thing about Heather O'Reilly retiring, right? Like, you could kind of see it happening. And so to, to – especially, like, you know, I got to go watch her final game with the North Carolina Courage at the at the championship and like actually take that in and watch her win <laughs> one final trophy, right? Like I think you have to celebrate that stuff, but it also shouldn't come at the expense of other players. I think you have to kind of keep your heart open, right? Um, and that's that is hard. Like there are limited end of season markets. This isn't like me who was raised a Red Sox fan, right? Who's also just like, okay, well, I can't adopt the Yankees now that I've moved to New York City, so I guess I'll go watch Mets games because, well, I can't do the Yankees, but also City Field does have better food, and I like live baseball, right? Like, the entry point for this sport for a lot of people is not necessarily an NWSL market. It's the U.S. Women's National Team, right? Or, more specifically, it's it's a specific player. Um, So I think you just have to... Balance all of these things and just, again, like keep your heart open but also know fundamentally sports are going to cause you pain and cause you suffering but the community part of it is really, I think, such a key part of why we keep coming back for more, right? So hopefully that answers, I I do really enjoy walking through the thematics of of fandom and and being a supporter, but it is also, it's just pain.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: All right. Moving on. Uh, Hannah L. asked, Are you concerned that NWSL Kansas City uh, is going to face the same challenges that FC Kansas City repetitively dealt with that ultimately cost Kansas City their team in 2017? so i do think that we have seen a little bit of a tone shift already with the new kansas city ownership group um i also think that the amount of investment that we are seeing already from kansas city and how much honestly deeper the pockets are um i think that's going to be like pretty clear in terms of what we can actually expect to see from kansas city Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the uh, primary failings with FC Kansas City were coming from a lack of significant investment and a lack of marketing especially. And, you know, having talked to the Longs, like I don't want to claim that they're going to be perfect owners, but I do think that they fundamentally are part of that sports community already. And we have already seen more (laughs) – more support, I think, of the new Kansas City team than, than, at least on social media, than we had ever really seen before just at launch. So I think the bigger question that we need to ask about this new Kansas City team is, let's say things at, from from launch don't start perfectly. For as much nice things as they're going to say about the roster they're inheriting from Utah, like we have seen the results of that roster from Utah, they... There is absolutely some talent there, but it, the roster is going to need work. And you are also trying to launch a team very, very rapidly. So the the bigger question to me that I worry about is, are they able to sustain what is likely to be a rough and challenging 2021? Just like, truly. Like, I, I don't... It's not about expectations, it's just they have a lot of stuff that they're gonna to have to work through. But then hoping that if they do have a rough or challenging 2021, that that doesn't have lasting consequences, that the community isn't gonna look at them and be like, well, it didn't work in 2013 through 2017. It's not working again right now. We're done here, right? That's always been kind of the challenge of women's sports is that the runway is shorter. The, uh, the expectations of success are much higher and they're immediate. So those are the questions that I'm thinking about more than what didn't work in 2017. I think they've got their own set of challenges to work through. All right, Sarah B. asked, as a fellow Masshole and inspired by the MUI video, what is your Dunks order? Um, so honestly, right now, because it is the holiday season and they have gingerbread <laughs> flavor, that means it is large hot cream with gingerbread like i gingerbread is the best flavor uh in general though i do not i do not drink their espresso drinks so it is usually a large cream two sugars and it's hot or ice depend on the mood um i don't tend to sometimes hazelnut swirl it depends that's a summer thing though honestly that's like a summer ice coffee thing anyway uh audra s asks, will you hit thirty thousand twitter followers by the 2021 end draft which amused me um no, probably not. <laughs> um, I need like 2,000 by January 13th and knowing how I tend to pick up Twitter followers and the fact that I tend to hibernate for a week at the end of this month, very, very doubtful. Also thank you for thinking about me hitting large following numbers, which again, I slightly I find slightly terrifying. Uh, Juliet R in a much much bigger question, asked, can you give us uh, BIPOC WOSO writers to follow some of their stories from this year, their newsletters or websites, etc. So I don't want to pretend like this is a complete list, um, but I do want to start with the, what I'd like to call the full-time starter pack, uh, Bria Felician, who has her newsletter, The Black Sportswoman, just had a, a great big deep dive on Brianna Scurry, uh, Sandra Herrera at CBS Sports, Steph Young at All for 11, Andre Carlisle, who writes about the Washington spirit, like please go follow all four of them. But there's also, of course, Erica Ayala, who um, will work with Equalizer and, and Freelance in a few spots. We don't always get her on women's soccer, but she is certainly in this space as well. Also, if you like women's hockey, that is the perfect person for you to follow. Um, I also want to point out a new episode of the Equalizer podcast that I think you should absolutely listen to. Again, featuring Erica Ayala, but also Party Katri hosts, um, with Jasmine Spencer and Kia McNeil about racism in soccer, NWSL's solidarity with Black Lives Matter, the path forward for the league. Um, I think that is definitely required listening at this point. Also have to shout out Shireen Ahmed, who is not necessarily in our uh, American women's soccer space, uh, deeply Canadian, which is always fun when our two countries play each other. But, I mean, if you want to talk about a leading voice on women's soccer and, and diversity in the space and, and you name it. Shireen is definitely it. Also, obviously, her her podcast with that crew of uh, Burn It All Down, highly, highly recommend. And then also, Amelia Lopez, who, like, I, I personally know my one of my greatest failings is that I do not have the bandwidth to follow oh. women's soccer in Mexico, whether that is their national team or Liga MX Feminil. Amelia is... An essential follow on that front. All right, we're we're almost to the end. If you hear my dog barking in the background, she is done with me recording this podcast. Um, okay, KDD, I absolutely know your last name though you did not write it in here. Asked, we have seen women's sports and the NWSL, especially really shine this year due in large part to their ability to be agile in a global crisis and a learned comfort with working with less, producing more. Hello, 493% year-over-year viewership increase. That said, the hurdles are still very present going into 2021. What is the one thing, or maybe a top three, you want to see happen in order to once again achieve double or triple-digit growth for the women of soccer? Okay, so a few things... On this front, and this is not going to be a complete answer by any stretch of the imagination. I think one of the big key things, and again, like I'm going to be pulling at this from a NWSL US angle first and foremost, but we got these huge viewership increases because it was on accessible channels, right? CBS. We still need continued broadcasts on CBS. That's part one. Part two is actually promoting the games (laughs) in a way where you know and it's not like where i know how to watch them i'm always going to know how to watch these games well to some extent like my new joy is trying to figure out where to watch european games but if i'm a casual soccer watcher do i know that NWCL is going to be on cbs on any given weekend the answer is probably no that's step one is actual meaningful promotion of the games, and how to watch them. That's basic stuff. That is basic stuff that should be accomplished at any time. The other part of this, and I mean, I had linked out to this on Twitter. There was a report from Deloitte about growth of women's sports, etc., etc. Like, all these recommendations, like, broadcasters keep showing women's sports, of course. The other part of that that I found very surprising that was missing is that, like, there was nothing about... It was like video creators should still tell stories. And it's like, yeah, of course they should. But we need actual full-time writers. It should not just be me and Jeff Kasuf. We need more full-time writers for women's soccer. Period. Done. Okay, the other part of this too, is it's not just like, here's my wish list, right? I think that there are also some things that need to it's not, like, danger zones. I don't want to call it a danger zone, but I think that there are some areas where, like, we start to get some concern. Like, at the same time, I don't want women's soccer to, like, sell its soul in order to achieve this stuff, which I think that we are starting to finally edge into that territory in a way that we haven't before with the Washington Spirit and wow. and Cutter partnership. Um, but I think that there's also um you can you can how do i want to phrase this like we can't have we have to start thinking about like minimum standards right we can't have 50 companies each trying to have some tiny piece of the pie and we add it up and we finally get this this pie of women's soccer right we have to we have to think about how many companies can actually sustain support. How how many companies can we actually like divide this up, right? Like CBS plus Twitch for broadcasts. If we start picking that apart more, where do we end up in? Is everyone's boat pointing in the same direction, right? Like that's a thing that I like to, to think about is, is everyone pushing the same way? Are we aligning or are people trying to protect their own interests when it comes to the space. And so I think that's kind of some of the conversation that we're going to have to start to think about is do people truly have the interest of women's soccer at heart, or are they trying to look at this space right at the moment because there is a real chance for profit and they're just going, well, I want a piece of that. Like, what are the intentions? Are we selling our soul as, as people are coming into this space? So that's just, it's, it's the other part of this piece that we need to think about as the growth continues to happen. All right. You might've heard my dog begging for food in the background, but this is the last question of the segment. So she can hang on one more second. Do you see 2020 as a turning point in women's soccer? And do you think the NWSL, us soccer media, um, just all three of those entities, have a plan to continue this progress into 2021. Other than subscribing, what can we do to help this growth continue? That one is from Hannah S. All right, so question one is, do, you, do I see this as a turning point? And I do think 2020 was a turning point for the business side of NWSL, right? Challenge Cup, huge success, new sponsorships, TV numbers, you know, you name it it went right for the NWSL. But I also don't think, you know, when we talk about turning points, it's really hard to see them in the moment. And we also, I feel like we've been talking about a turning point for women's soccer now for a while. I think we have to have some distance. Um, You know, when I think about 2011, right? 2011 was a real turning point for the growth of women's soccer with the 2011 World Cup and, and the U.S. Women's National Team run in that World Cup. But we only realize the larger significance of that moment in the much larger context of the growth of the sport over the past decade. So is there a plan? And I'd like, I'd like to think that there's a plan. I really would. I'd really like to think there's a plan. The problem is is that we have so many independent actors. And this is exactly what I was talking about in the previous question. Is We have, we have so many boats <laughs> in the water right at the moment that I think the bigger question becomes, how do you align? How do you align interests, right? This is a coalition that we have to build across the league, across the national team, across media. Also, how do you get the league and the national team to not consider the media an enemy, right? And it's not, I don't want to say like enemy as if like we're trying to like bring down the NWSL or US soccer, but there's access issues. There are... Issues in terms of there there's a lot. We can we could talk about that one for a long time. So I think the biggest thing to answer your final question, how other than subscribing, what can we do to help this growth continue? So I think key number one is pushing outlets for more coverage of women's soccer, for better coverage for subscribing to those places that are doing the work, right? For pushing more companies to sponsor women's soccer, teams, leagues, whatever it is, tuning in, buying tickets, buying merch, like there's all this this stuff, right, that can be done. And some of it costs money for people, some of it doesn't. Some of it is just, you know, we've, we've learned this year that bullying ESPN on Twitter apparently works sometimes when it comes to involvement of women's soccer. But, you know, I think there's another question here maybe that you didn't ask, but I think is worth considering, and that is, how do we continue work to make the space of women's soccer, whether that's physical, virtual, et cetera, et cetera, more exclusive, more accessible? How do we bring in new fans? How do we avoid gatekeeping? How do we build something that people can't ignore? And that's that's a much bigger question, but I think that's also something to consider as we, we think about what turning points for the sport can be, what a plan for the future could be, and I think that needs to be a part of it. All right, so that is it for 2020. Again, thank you to everyone for subscribing, for listening, for engaging, and for sharing this podcast. One more thing, as always, one final, one more thing for 2020. As I start to think about the approach to our 2021 coverage, an Olympic year, the return of the Challenge Cup, and regular season, I mean, you name it, it's going to hit next year. What do you want to see from us at The Athletic? Now, I can't make promises that certain things will make the final list, but if there is something in particular you want to see, something you like and want more of, whatever it is, it is also helpful for me to consider what our previous subscribers are looking for as i also try to go out and, and try to convert other athletic readers into women's soccer folks or find new subscribers so you know how to find me if you do have takes but also feel free to use that survey for these mailbag questions as a feedback form as well you can fill it out multiple times so i will end the year with the same thing that i always say and ask of you please tell your friends subscribe rate and review you know the drill Full Time with Meg Linehan is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Athletic, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you do enjoy this podcast and do not yet subscribe to The Athletic, but it would enjoy more women's soccer coverage, more sports coverage, the link to do so is theathletic.com slash full-time. Reminder, we've got that buy one, gift one deal going through the end of the month. You can find me on Twitter, at It's Meg Linahan. Again, I am trying very hard to take a week off around the holidays but you know I also talk a big game when I say that I'm going to step away from social media so <laughs> you know where to find me uh, our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic I'm Meg Linahan. thank you for listening